Rachel, you work for the local news in Germany's news in English is the slogan. You're a journalist and our paths have crossed in the past because of Easy German and now That's you're correct. here. Welcome. Thanks. Hello, it's hello. Good to, hello, it's good to be here. Uh, what else do we need to know about you? You've been in Berlin for 10 years? For a little over 10 years. It's hard to believe it because I thought I would only be here for 10 weeks for a mini fellowship. And like so many people, um, that short amount of time continued on indefinitely. And I'm still here. And I sent you an email inviting you to the show. And you replied with a whole slew of topics, topic ideas. <laughs> and we'll see <laughs> if we can hit on all of them today. But they're all... Really good topics. You mentioned having kids and a family in Berlin as an expat. You mentioned the freelance visa, which I actually talked about in my last episode. And I have some questions about. You mentioned work-life balance in Berlin from an American perspective. And you mentioned how Berlin has changed after 10 years of being an expat here. We have a lot to go through <laughs> with you. I'm ready. <laughs> Which one should we start with? Maybe the freelance visa since since yeah, I just I touched on this. So I talked about in the last episode about how one of the options of coming here and working here if you are a native English speaker is to get a freelance visa as an English teacher and just start teaching. And I mentioned that basically what you need is three offers from English schools or language schools that basically say, hey, yes, we would like to work with you. That's correct. So the artist visa, otherwise known as the freelance visa, isn't just for quote-unquote artists in the traditional sense. It also applies for language teachers, for journalists. So I've had this visa in the past. Um, and for people who are writing or basically lots of creative and teaching fields. So you can't just have one letter of recommendation because then the Ausländerbehörde will want you to be employed by that organization. But if you have three or better yet, four, even five letters vouching for you and saying, hey, I'd be interested in working for this person. They have a skill that is valuable to our organization. Then you stand a really good chance in the mm -hmm. eyes of the Ausländerbehörde. And sorry, I'm not so good at pronouncing this word. <laughs> I have a question in regards to that because before I um, started working for Easy Languages, that's what actually I was going to do. But I was always very nervous of like, How do you go about approaching these companies or whatnot? Like, do you send them an email saying, hey, I would like to work with you, but if you don't want to work with me, can you at least send me like an email, uh, email saying you're interested? Like, how does one go about like building that connection and receiving that? That's a good question. So, in the past, I had always known a person at one of these organizations, and I think it's always better to use a little bit of vitamin B, as the Germans would say, and say, so-and-so gave me your email. Um, I just moved to Berlin, and I'm a trained English teacher. Here's my CV. I'm looking to receive a freelance visa and um, collecting these letters of intent. Um, even if we don't work directly together, I wanted to see if you would be able to write this statement. 
And I think sometimes it helps to actually have a statement more or less Mm. worded out because then it shows the person that they don't need to put in that much effort. So like, um, what do you call it? Um, Kind of formulaic statement where they could just put in a few extra words and sign it off for you is always helpful. And is that how you started working as a journalist in Berlin? That's a good question. So I had a bit of a leg up in that I came here on a journalism fellowship, and I'd already made a few connections with different media outlets. And so when I did go and apply for that freelance visa, um, because at first I was here on a student visa through the fellowship, I basically said, hey, I had freelanced for you in the past, and I'd be interested in continuing to freelance for you. Would you guys be willing to write this letter? And at least back then, um, they were pretty friendly and helpful. Mm. Mm. So you've been here for 10 years. You originally came on a student visa, then you did a journalism uh, fellowship. And then you mentioned as another topic, having kids slash a family in Berlin as an expat. So something must have happened in the meantime. <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. So when I came here as a kind of student slash trainee in my mid-20s, that wasn't on my mind at all. Um, but then as I stayed here for longer, I met a German and one thing led to the next. And here I am with now a 16-month-old daughter. <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks. My question is, so I, I, I've always wondered this, like when you're like a native English speaker and you're dating someone, in this case, a native German, do you teach your child both languages or are you focusing on just one language right now? Like, What is your daughter speaking? Yeah, that's a really good question. So we decided to both speak to her in our native languages because when they're so young, they're really like sponges where they just absorb naturally the Mm. vocabulary around them. And so uh, my husband speaks to her in German or as he jokes, sometimes in Danglish. I speak (laughs) to her in English and... um, Yeah, sometimes she speaks a bit of Danglish herself. Right now, her favorite word is yas, uh, (laughs) a nice little made-up hybrid. Um, And and funny enough, she's going, or she just started going to a German and Spanish kita, so even has a couple um, Spanish words. So hopefully it's not too confusing, but I'm sort of of the theory that when you start young... I wish, but yeah. (laughs) You'll be fine. What's the rule when you're like all out together? Or all at the dinner table inside the house together? Like, do you have rules for those types of situations? Yeah, that's a good question. So I actually have spoken to my husband in German since the beginning. So we mostly just speak German to each other. And then when I'm talking just to her, I speak in English, though sometimes my brain confuses it and I throw in some German words (laughs) as well. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Yeah, I'm always in admiration about that. Um, Your godson is like he the way that he bounces back from English and German just (laughs) amazes me. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. He's also being raised bilingually. Oh, that's really cool. (laughs) Um, What else is there to know? Uh, I mean, having a kids, having kids, raising a family is a big project, no matter what. But what? would you say is particularly different or interesting or difficult maybe as an expat? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Well, I would say in a sense, it's almost 
easier raising kids here than in the States because Mm -hmm. there are so many more support structures that we don't have. Um, Looking at the purely logistical things, there's the Kindergeld, which is basically money you receive every month from the government just for having a child. Really? Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, and so that will be up to 250 euros um, starting in 2023. And then I think just from giving birth, there's um, a really good system of of hospitals. You don't pay anything like you do in the U.S. Um, it's pretty common for women to take a year of maternity leave. And I mean, for me as a American, that's extraordinary. That's mind blowing. <laughs> <laughs> it is like you know, in the states, it's kind of if yeah. you're lucky, you get three months <laughs> yeah. off. And um, I've seen people on GoFundMe uh, trying to get maternity funds, as they say, just to be able to take a few months self of work with their kids before they go back and that's dystopian um, yeah for sure and here it's just the norm so that made my life so much easier not having to worry about it and getting paid leave for a while um and yeah i think in in general berlin is a really good city for kids because a third of it is open space um really a third of berlin is open space that's that's what i had read because there's so many different parks and green areas wow. everywhere and i've been progressively um discovering them over the past year on my wow. parental leave <laughs> that's awesome and i have a question in regards to family and being an expat is like how is your relationship um, or your child's relationship with your family back home in California and the States where that like, how do you guys keep that bridge going? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and it's funny because in all my years here as an expat, I never really felt homesickness until I had a child. Mm-hmm. And then I felt more of a drive to introduce my daughter to a lot of the traditions and customs back home. Um, And I think I ended up traveling back to California and staying there longer than I had in my um, 10 years here because I felt like the grandparents needed to have some time with her. And I've started celebrating things in Berlin that I didn't care about keeping alive really Did before. you do Thanksgiving? Yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah. For the first time, I just hosted a Thanksgiving. For the first time. <laughs> wow, I did too. Oh, nice, <laughs> yeah. nice. <laughs> It was actually in the kitchen today. <laughs> oh, cool. Were you able yeah. to find the cranberry sauce? That all well, the yeah, I, I did. It was a non-traditional type of, like I got everyone to bring like a dish and like I was like, because I kind of wanted to see what everyone else would like bring to that. How many pies thing. were there? <laughs> um, there was one attempt at a pie, Actually, (laughs) (laughs) one attempt, someone attempted a pie and it was more like a cookie (laughs) with everything (laughs) out. But yeah, like there, there is a part of me that um, I kind of see that thing of like kind of forgetting or ignoring a lot of the holiday uh, or a lot of the traditions. But sometimes you do get that feeling of like homesickness or whatnot and you kind of want to spark that. And I can imagine. I can see how once you have offspring, you really kind of want to show them that side of you, right? Yeah. I mean, that's where you're from. And now your daughter is growing up in Germany. And as a as someone who identifies as German, I imagine, and you don't want her to miss that part of her identity, right? Exactly. 
I mean, I'll always be strongly American because that's where I grew up and still spent the bulk of my life. But she was born here and um, sees German culture all of the time. So I kind of feel it's my responsibility to keep this part of American culture, at least the highlights of it going. Mm -hmm. And do you feel that you, because you said that Germany provides a um, a good support system. Have you been able to find a good support system um, with friends and people that you might consider family here in Berlin as well? Yeah, that's also a good question. Um, I feel like in the past year, I've probably made more friends than I have since my first year in Berlin because I was consciously searching for people who were in the same boat as me. Um, I do have a good number of friends in Berlin, but not so many of them have kids themselves. And so I joined these Facebook groups like International Families Berlin and this group called Super Mamas, where when you have a kid, um, these experienced moms will actually bring you a meal and have a chat with you. Oh. So I made some good friends through that and then tried to reciprocate um, when my daughter was a little bit older. So yeah, through that network, I have uh, met a lot of really cool and kind people. And then also just friends that I've had here for a while have also been supportive. So um, I feel like I've been in good hands without having um, my side of the family. And then luckily, my husband is a rare Berliner. So he still has family um, just in the outskirts of the city who have been willing to step in and help out a little bit. Nice, nice. That's really good. Then you mentioned the work-life balance in Berlin from an American perspective or rights as an employee here. So you are, you already mentioned you're now You, you transition from being a freelancer to being a full-time employee at a company, the local. That's right. And how how is that different from being an employed in the U.S.? <laughs> yeah, that um, it's it's quite different, I would say, because there's more job security once you finish the six months pullbut site, so like the trial period. Um, and I find that there's this mentality where it's important to take breaks in German working culture so that you can go back and be an even stronger employee. So, for example, it would be shunned upon if you're sick um, and you go into the office because then you could infect your colleagues and I find that in Germany, um, people are encouraged to work from home when they're sick or just completely take No, you're not time encouraged off. to work at home when you're sick. You're supposed to not work when you're sick. Okay, maybe that's, maybe that's just my company. <laughs> that's true. Maybe that's just my company. So I guess it's uh, you are encouraged to take days off. Um, and that explains why Germans, I think on average, take like 18 or 19 days off um, of sick leave per year, whereas in the States, it's only two days. <laughs> Because in the, in the States, they, after a while, they like withdraw it from your vacation days, right? Which yeah. is insane from a German perspective. Even if you're on vacation and you get sick, you reclaim those vacation days. You you go to the doctor and you say, look, I was actually sick for one week out of my two-week vacation. So 
here's my sick note, and then you get that week of vacation days back. I am, every day I'm so amazed at that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're not able to properly vacation if you're sick. It makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's just, I'm just not used to this. Yeah, I know as an American, I'm blown away. Like, if we get sick on our vacation, it's just bad luck. Yeah, that, like, <laughs> your like, vacation oh, well, is ruined. And you have to go back to work the next day. I exactly. feel like it's so common to get sick on your vacation because you finally kind of loosen all the tension and stuff and your body's like, oh, okay, I'm allowed to like <laughs> yeah. release all yeah. the toxins, toxins stuff like that. All, I don't know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. The only time I really tend to get sick is on my vacation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I should be getting more doctor's notes. <laughs> For sure. Yes. Right. Um, but going back to that work-life um, balance thing. Um, Which is such a Terrible term, by the way. Yeah, isn't it like <laughs> it? It, it, it kind of is. We shouldn't have a work like like you should never like, s- turn off your life. You know, <laughs> right? Like, first of all, work is part of life. Yeah, and it, I don't know. Like, no matter the perspective you look at this term, I feel like it's a little wrong. Mm-hmm. Like splitting life into work and life. I don't know. Maybe work fun balance. Yeah. I would get maybe if you have a work type of work that's maybe to sum it up your daily lifestyle. Yes. Yes. Um, so my as an expat, of course, you know, your daily lifestyle is shaken up a bit. But like, was it very difficult for you to adjust to like a new lifestyle coming here to Berlin? Um, was it easier for you? Was it hard in some regards? Yeah, I guess I'm still adjusting in some ways. Um, I still have this mentality of working as much as I can, even when I should take a break. So as an example, a couple years ago, I had this really minor foot surgery. And outside of the day of the surgery, I was planning on basically going back to work because I thought, okay, it's my foot. It's I'm still able to I type. Can write. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And the doctor wrote me six weeks of um sick leave. And I basically said six weeks, but I'm still able to work. And he said, no, no, you should be recuperating with your feet up and and taking the time to rest and drink tea. And to me as an American, this was just mind-blowing because I remember back in San Francisco in 2011, I had a colleague who got in a bike accident and he had used up his five days of sick leave and he basically went through his two weeks of vacation time, the meager two weeks of vacation, and then took unpaid leave after that while he recuperated. And here in Germany, um, you could get six weeks at a time, fully paid. And then after that, you could still get partially paid leave if you have a doctor's note and you get something called Krankengeld from your your health insurance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And regarding the work um, environment, I feel like through your work, you also have a good insight into all of Germany. Do you think there are differences between Germany, uh, I mean, Berlin and the rest of Germany in terms of the availability of jobs and also maybe pay and opportunities? Like those things we were just talking about are are just uh, uh, loss, right? Like it's the same everywhere. But I feel like Berlin, this podcast is called Everyone's Moving to Berlin. Like there's a lot of people coming here. There are a lot of startups and companies and stuff. But do you feel like it's more difficult to get a job here compared to the rest of Germany? Do you know anything about all of this? Yeah. So I feel like in Berlin, you do have more English speaking jobs, more 
jobs within the startup world. I know a lot of people here who have been uh, Val Berliners, uh, Berliners by choice for like 10 years, and they still can't really speak much German. Whereas I think mm -hmm. in other cities, you wouldn't be able to get away with that so easily. And that a lot of um, companies have jobs, but they require you to have at least a certain level of, of German and probably jobs for sort of these small and medium-sized companies, the Mittelstand, they require you as well to have a certain level of German. So I think Berlin is unique just in the amount of um, English you can get away with speaking. I don't know what's your take on that, having lived in quite a few cities, Manuel. Yeah, I think everything you said is true. Um, Germany is changing, I think, compared to other countries, the traditional German companies are often still very kind of uptight and expect German from their employees, even when it's technically not necessary for the job, just kind of as part of their culture, like we're a German company, so everybody speaks German. But I think that's changing and companies are realizing that they have to change because so many people are missing. And I'm not sure if you've reported on this, but the government just announced these relatively big changes to our immigration laws to make it easier for people, especially qualified people, to come to Germany and find a job here and stay here because we really, really, really need them to come. We need people to come and and work here. And so I think it's changing quickly. I mean, there are jobs where you need to speak German to do the job, but actually many, many jobs nowadays you don't because they're international anyway. And so I think this is changing now. Yeah, that's really true. That's one of the big things that we've been reporting on. Um, and in some sectors, like for example, to be an English teacher at a bilingual school or a daycare here, um, before you had to have a C1 level of German. And now they're looking into lowering the requirement because it's a bar that a lot of people coming to Berlin weren't able to meet. Mm -hmm. um, and they said, hey, we're really in need of native English speakers to be teaching the language. It's not like these people will be speaking German if they're not in administrative administrative roles. So why not lower the bar a little bit? And the same goes for other professions where um, you're only supposed to have a B1 or B2, whereas before C1 would have been required. Yeah, that's good. I'm curious to know more about your life as a journalist in Berlin. How has that been like specifically like being able to um, find stories and find interesting things to report on because, I mean, Berlin is n anything but boring. So I know <laughs> there's a lot of exciting stories and exciting, um, and exciting things that happen here. Yeah, that's true. I think I've never had a shortage of stories from a cultural perspective. There's always been so much going on in the arts world, new restaurants, galleries, um, things to do. Uh, from a political perspective, there's always interesting protests going on from things against the corona measures to people driving down the streets and tractors to protest <laughs> agricultural policies. Um, yeah, I think there's always a lot of really uh, interesting stories to go around. And Berlin is really like several small towns put together. So the city itself 
um, has only been Berlin in its current formation for the past hundred years. And before that, every district was really its own city, which is why you have like the dot house or the town hall in each of these districts. And I find every place has its own kind of feel and vibe. And so wherever I live, I kind of get um, new inspiration for new stories. What's been your most interest or one of your most interesting stories have you done? Um, I don't know why this is coming to my mind right now, but there was this band I reported on who were half Iranian, half Israeli, and they were doing songs basically from both of their countries, and they wouldn't have been able to exist in Israel or Iran, but um, in Berlin, they grew to be pretty popular and got a large following. And so to me, that was kind of a iconic Berlin story, just showing how it is here a melting pot. I mean, of course, you have darker aspects like um, anti-Semitism and more right-wing stuff, which I've also unfortunately had to report on. But I thought that that was just a cool cultural story to come about. Yes. We will uh, link to this story if you can send us the link. So Absolutely. People can read it. Yeah. That's awesome. What you said about Berlin is so true. It's really it doesn't really feel like one big city. It feels like a bunch of small and medium cities all squished together and they all have their own town hall and different vibes. And sometimes it makes it a little bit more difficult because it feels like, for example, I never go to Neukölln or Friedrichshain Neukölln. just because it's so far. Like it yeah. feels yeah, so far. Sure. Bedding is very far from me. Uh, and so I don't know. I, I was just in Krakow, which is obviously much, much smaller than Berlin. But it's just so nice that there's like one center, like literally the, there's the town hall, the d town hall and the square and everybody meets there and you can just go there and you're sure to meet someone that you know if you live in the city and that's very nice but on the other hand it is really nice in berlin that you basically have that times all the kitsa like you can yeah. you know you can go to a different place and it just feels like a different city i i was told this when i first moved here that like um people don't really leave their like their little area keats yeah their keats and The more I live in Neukölln, the more I love it. The more I agree. I'm like, like oh, <laughs> you're all the way up there. Nah, I'll skip that a bit. I don't want to go. Yeah, but the way. nice thing is also that you can live in a Keats for a few years and then move. Because I yeah. used to live in Neukölln. I lived there for a few years. So I feel like I, I got to know the place, right? Sure, like, for sure. Yeah. yeah. How often have you moved since you've been here? Oh, man. Um, so I actually started out in Vedding. And it's funny that you mentioned that because when I came in 2012, it was the spot where people weren't too keen to be. And they asked me if I only got a flat there because I couldn't find anything else or <laughs> if they had anything positive at all to say it would be oh that's the place with the 24-7 fruit stand but <laughs> that was about it and so I was traveling to Neukölln um, to just see friends and then by the time I left in 2015 it seemed like everybody was coming to vetting and it was starting to be the place to be um, and it so, still feels like that. There, there's a saying that people say, der Wedding kommt, like, it's, like it's happening, like the wedding is getting hip. But 
They've been saying it for years. And years. Like, it feels like it's always on the edge of becoming hip, you know. <laughs> One of these days. Yes. Yeah, but I, I think I basically did the ring of gentrification, as I like to tell people, because after that I was in Lichtenberg, which is just outside of the ring, and it was also one of these places that is slowly becoming cool. Um, mm -hmm. It's a little bit more affordable than Friedrichshain. And then after that, I was in Friedrichshain. And then I moved to Mitte, where I am right now. Okay. So I've been a few places. <laughs> <laughs> this was a great transition to the last topic on your list, which is how Berlin has changed after 10 years of being an expat here. You mentioned vetting has changed. All the districts have changed, I'm sure. But what else have you been noticing? How has Berlin changed? So one big difference is just the possibilities to pay with card <laughs> and sometimes only with card. So when right. I got here, um, it was almost like card payments were this legendary thing that I'd only see if I was outside of Berlin, but now... Cash um, only, it used to be, right? Exactly, exactly. And now sometimes near bar bezahlung. And so that uh, has been a, a huge culture shock, even though it's been changing for a while now. Um, and I guess in Corona times, a lot of places got rid of cash as well. Right. But now it's the worst of both worlds because you still have places that only accept cash. So you do still need to carry cash. Because every once in a while, you will be at a place where it's just like, oh, yeah, cash only. I always. But remember. then there's also now places that, as you mentioned, have card only, which I personally like because I always have my I phone in. Yeah, yeah same. With your phone. But it's like, you can't depend on either. Either. <laughs> like, you always have to have both. Yeah, I used to just like take out like a little bit of like money from the ATM. But then if you do that, you have to you, you, you use up your ATM withdrawal. So now you have to... Don't you money. have the platinum card? Where you get <laughs> yes. A hundred withdrawals? Those eight go by very oh, fast. Oh, it's just eight. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was like I had to take out more. Um, I don't have any cash on me right now. Wink, wink. If people see me on the street, I'm broke. <laughs> um, but like I have to take out more now just so I'm, I'm like make sure that I have something always on me because you never know um, anywhere you go. It's like just so luck of the draw if you get a yeah, place card. Yeah. That's card. Yeah, it's it's really true. Like the last time I was at the Ostenderbehörde, I ended up taking out a obscene amount of cash because I had to pay in cash and only cash for my last visa. And I was just hoping that nobody would mug me on the way there. How and expensive then, was the visa? Uh, it's like 150 euros, so not too obscene, but you know more than you're used to. But that's funny to. that you describe that as an obscene amount of money because, yeah, from an American perspective, you would never carry that much cash. But I no. think most... German people who have the this kind of money, maybe not teenagers and, and uh, younger people and people who just don't have that much money, but many people have 100 euros or more in their wallet just mm -hmm. always. Just that's, that's like normal. A, yeah, that's a good point. And I think I read, and we've even written about this before, that Germans carry more cash than any other nationality in the world. Right. And especially in Berlin, it makes sense because you're right. You never know if a place will accept cash or card. And um, even now I find myself asking because it can be kind of hit or miss. 
Yeah, and then you're in a group, and you're at the beer garden, and then it's like, <laughs> oh shit, it's cash only, and then it's always like, who who has any cash? Yeah. And the person with the hundred fifty bucks in the or euros in their wallet. Have you ever been in a group and you guys go out someplace and you have to like leave just to go run to the ATM? Yeah, really it was quick. so much. Yeah. yeah, I you're think like, just oh, last yeah. night actually. <laughs> you're like you're like thank God with other people so it doesn't like it doesn't look like a dining dad because <laughs> like, right, y'all stay here. I'm just gonna go get no, some cash. It's totally normal and usually the places that accept cash only will tell you like this mm-hmm. is where the nearest ATM is. Like go go there. Like, yeah, you can't pay by card here, but there's an ATM there. Yes, it's very interesting. That has a five euro fee to take out money, <laughs> coincidentally. Well, that depends on your bank. Yeah. <laughs> so despite the cards versus cash uh, debate, how else has Berlin changed? Well, the biggest negative change, I think, has been the rental prices. And a lot of areas, they've doubled in the past um, 10 years. And in some areas, it's even quadrupled. Um, Midten, Penthauerberg, I'm looking at you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So unfortunately, it's not the city that people could just come to to kind of hang out and find themselves in, which is my next point. So when I came, there were lots of kind of students and people who were unemployed and They said that because it's so cheap, they didn't need to get a job right away, or they were trying to kind of occasionally freelance. But now I see more people who are coming to Berlin connected with a job or a specific opportunity. And I think a lot of that just has to do with the fact that it's getting more and more expensive to live here. And that's not to say that there are cheaper um, enclaves, especially outside of the ring part of Berlin. Um, but in general, yeah, costs are a really big part of what's changing. Um, I think, unfortunately, there's also less small businesses, um, less kneipen, am I saying that the right way? Yeah. So these little kind of hole-in-the-wall bars where a lot of people traditionally smoked inside and played darts and whatnot. Um, and a lot of these places are being gentrified and um, replaced by either chains or um, kind of more expensive, uh, chic type of establishments. And another sort of positive change is that um, it's becoming much more international here mm-hmm. and English is more widely spoken. I think it's getting easier to get by even with some bureaucracy. So the Ausländerbehörde used to be infamous for the fact that despite it being an international office, you would show up there and they would not speak a word of English. And that was my experience the first few times I was there. And I was there recently to help a friend um, translate. And the woman there uh, spoke perfect English, so I wasn't needed at all. And that was very different to my experiences in my early days in Berlin. That's great to hear that that's that finally is. changing. Yeah. When we went to get my on Meldung, I was kind of useless yeah. too. Yeah. I came with <laughs> <Jay> <laughs> to help. And I was like, no, no, I, I'm going to come and help translate. Yeah. And, and in the end, I just stood yeah. there. And even <laughs> when I got my visa, um, I went with um, um, our colleague Isa, and the person there spoke perfect English too. So I was like, 
what is this? I was, I was, That's awesome. I was like, hello? <laughs> you speak my language? I understand what you're saying. What is this? Yeah. That's a really yeah. positive change. But it also goes back to Berlin and Germany needing to make this change because we can't afford to be so on the defensive. Like we need to create an environment where people want to come and want to stay here because if not, they'll go to other countries. And Exactly. Yeah. For sure. Plus, I'll also just say this. It takes a long time to learn a language. So like most people who are moving here, like some of them are like, no, I don't ever want to learn German. But some also people are wanting to learn German. But it takes a minute to like... Take you know, a minute. like to like actually be able to have a conversation. Give them. We're some doing slack. you a favor by speaking English. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's right. That's true. And are you learning German right now? Um, slow steps. I I am like I I don't have like a set like course or whatnot because my life and my mind is very chaotic. But I've been like actually like making effort to like watch like our easy German videos, um, like practice a little bit, and I do a lot of active listening now. Like a lot of active listening. Anytime I'm I I hear German, I'll just like just like. Because I used to just distract myself, but now I'll actually just like try to listen and stuff like that. I I've even been watching Netflix with like German subtitles, or I'll be watching like this one really great show called Dark on Netflix. So I'll watch that in German. Um, so I've been trying to, in any instance that I can, like like at least absorb it. You know, I'm not as young as your daughter to absorb it as a sponge, but I'll do my best. With it's what never I too late to start. <laughs> it's never too late, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I and I find just being motivated goes a really long way. It does. Yeah, I'm just tired of every because ironic. Like typically, most of the international people that I meet here have a big group of friends who are also international. But most of the people that I know in Germany or in Berlin are German, you know, um, like um, the people that I work with, but also just my friends, like talking to you, Manuel, Kari, and all of them. It's like everyone is just German. So I'm like, you know what? I feel left out. I I want to be included <laughs> in the conversation. And that is very motivating for me just to be able to totally. at least say one thing. I keep sure. forgetting that he doesn't speak German. I keep talking to him. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, German. don't look at me. I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. But <laughs> he doesn't say right away. He just looks at me. And then after <laughs> Like he's like Manuel. I don't speak German. I don't know what because saying. like there's there's a few things going on in my head. It's one. It's like that that deer caught in the headlights moment where you don't know what to do. Like like someone said Donka to me today because I opened the door for them and I didn't say anything because I didn't know what to respond to it. And the other part is me is like okay, I'm going to absorb whatever that question was. And like there's a part of me that also was trying to challenge myself. Did I understand what he said? And then I'm like, no, I didn't. Yeah. It's a process. It's, it's a, a process. process. It's a process. Um, so being an expat here in Berlin, um, what's been the best thing, but also what's been the worst thing? Oh, I haven't thought about this. I, I suppose the best thing has just been that I haven't gone home yet. I kept thinking that I would give up on Berlin and that it would be too hard to live abroad and that I would just spend one more year and then another year after that. And there's so much to the city that has pulled me in, whether it's been 
friends or now family, um, the culture, the vibrancy that I've ended up sticking around. And I think probably the worst thing has been the unfriendliness. And of course, Mm -hmm. that changes, um, that has been changing. And I know quite a lot of friendly, open people, but um, still as a Californian, I haven't gotten used to some of the bureaucratic reactions. so, so different, especially (laughs) in California. California (laughs) is very, hey, how are you? Like even overly friendly to the point where it's like kind of fake, but like a complete 180 to how it is here. It's it's true. And I mean, it was on one hand a reverse culture shock when I went back to California <laughs> and people were like, oh, how are you doing? I always order this coffee too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no way. A black cup of coffee? I do yeah. the same thing. Awesome. We should be friends. And, 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 and you're like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> Yeah, I had a bit of shock. Like, do you want some money or something? (laughs) What are you trying to sell me? (laughs) I'm not signing this donation. I don't want it. Yeah. Exactly. But then, you know, sometimes if you're having a bad day and somebody's just smiling and friendly, even if it's superficial, it can kind of bring you up. Whereas yeah. here, it's the opposite, where if you're a bit down and it's already cold in the winter and, you know, like a few days ago, this woman stepped on my foot on the train and I found I was the one saying, um, and she just looked at me annoyed and it's like, hey, you're the one that stepped on my yeah. foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Berliners are interesting. And I think we've talked about this before, but like, I'm really trying to not let that like affect me. Because so, like, sometimes it rubs off on you too. Because yeah. I mean, like if everyone else is around you, it takes a lot of conscious effort to like keep that like happy energy and that like good vibes and stuff like that. Yeah, it does. And you really need to consciously find a community mm-hmm. here. Uh, I feel like in some parts of the world, you can just kind of pull in friendly people in community. But in Berlin, I've had to make more of an effort. Yeah. Um, though when I have found that, then it's been something really lasting, luckily. Mm. So I have one last question for you. What advice do you have for people who are considering moving to Berlin, but still have not made that leap just yet? That's a good question. So if they want to come here, they should come here. You can always overthink it too much and say it's too much bureaucracy. It's too expensive. Yes, prices are going up. Yes, they're is a lot of bureaucracy, but in the end, it's such a eye-opening experience, not to sound too cliche, but I feel like because Berlin is such a big city with so many different types of people that you can always find a community and there's just so many resources, so many um, niches that even if somebody doesn't have a set job yet or a set opportunity, that shouldn't stop them. So I guess that advice basically boils down to just come. <laughs> <laughs> just come to Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> Does that sound like a tourist video? Yeah. Just come to the magical city of Berlin. <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I'm a guy who always just takes a leap of faith and it will never be what you expect it to be. Never, no. never. Um, but... I don't, I, I personally don't have any regrets, you know, and I, I, I think once you make that leap, you 
and you land, you start to learn how to walk. And then once you yeah. learn how to walk, it's easier to run, you know. And But you just got to do it. Yeah. You just got to just make the leap. Exactly. Exactly. 